The Powers on Sports podcast is brought to you by Titan Home Lending, Print and Marketing Solutions, and Star Alvarado. Enjoy the podcast. Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is To beat the man, you gotta beat the man. The two-one swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. This is the Powers on Sports podcast. All right, welcome in Powers on Sports podcast. We are in getting to the mid part of August. NFL training camps are in full force. Everybody will be playing a preseason game this weekend. Finally, we had the Hall of Fame uh, ceremony last weekend in Canton, Ohio. Shout out to Rondé Barber, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, for getting elected to the Hall of Fame and all of the other great uh, candidates that were enshrined. You had Zach Thomas, you had Demarcus Ware, Joe Thomas, to name a few, Don Coriel. So congrats to all the uh, nominees that were the elected uh, guys into the into the hall. It's a great honor for those guys and such. Um, so good week. Got 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 a got a lot of headlines to talk about before we get to our guest this week. Our our guest is Zach Gelb, host of the Zach Gelb Radio Show on CBS Sports Radio, national sports radio show based out of New York City. We're going to talk to Zach about the NFC and AFC East previews in the NFL. Going to get his thoughts on the Mets and the Yankees and such post-trade deadline. And some good comments and commentary about, again, both divisions and what he thinks uh, some storylines around the NFL are in those divisions. So Zach will be up in here in a few minutes after we get through some of the uh, the headlines of the week. So first things first, let's talk about a couple of uh, – of of things to watch on the tube, Netflix. Johnny Manziel, the documentary, the un- untold documentary of Johnny Manziel's out. That's new, so be interesting to see what he says. I've not seen it yet. I guess they're going to outline his you know his, his disastrous running with the Cleveland Browns, going back to his days at Texas A and M and all that stuff. The whole building up of Johnny Football. Then you have the Hard Knocks debut of the New York Jets. Is this week was this week as well. Uh, kind of a love fest for Aaron Rodgers, I am sure. But it'll be interesting to see what uh, Hard Knocks, how how you know probing and all that stuff Hard Knocks gets with the Jets. Remember, the Jets wanted no part of Hard Knocks being involved and them being involved with Hard Knocks, but they are. So we'll see how that goes. And obviously, episode one out this week, and you'll probably have four more episodes as we lead up to the regular season. So that's your two TV viewing pleasure. Uh, I watched a little bit of the. Uh, Jake Paul Nate Diaz fight over the weekend. Uh, it was a decent. It was okay. It wasn't wasn't great. Uh, you know, Nate Diaz clearly is a uh, was making his boxing debut and all that stuff. And Jake Paul, uh, not 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 too impressive. So we'll see how the Jake Paul uh, uh, phenomenon in boxing continues. Apparently, that he's gonna they're gonna there potentially is gonna be a rematch on the MMA side, but we'll see. Uh, hard for me to get too involved with Jake Paul as a, as a serious boxer until he beats a serious boxer. So 
uh, the one time he did fight uh, a decent boxer, he lost. So we'll see how the whole Jake Paul uh, phenomenon continues to go uh, as we move through the end of the year. All right, some some other headlines, some big news. Obviously, we're going to hit on some uh, football and a couple a soccer note and a baseball note. Uh, United States World Cup team out at the World Cup. They lose a uh, in the round of 16 to Sweden, zero. They lose in penalty kicks. Um, a disastrous end to the World Cup experience for the United States, who were the favorites trying to three-peat. Um, you know, Vladko Andonovsky, the head coach, getting a lot of heat about lineups and changes and strategy and formations and stuff. Most likely there's going to be a change at the top there with Andonovsky as the head coach. More importantly, though, the story out of out of the World Cup and the, and the team is uh, team unity, team camaraderie. You know, are the are, were they was this group of of players truly playing for the for the, for the country, or were they more playing for personal gain as opposed to uh, putting in the the effort that you need to be to be the best team in the world? That is the part that's being seriously questioned with this team. You know, you've had obviously at the build up to this World Cup, you had. Lots of uh, you know storylines with with players on the team and their social justice uh, views and and some of those kind of things that we've seen with Rapinho and some others on the team. Uh, maybe not as focused on being uh, a World Cup champion and 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 being the best team you can be. Um, yeah, it was a tricky a tricky World Cup because you had you still had a handful of players from the old regimes that had won the two World Cups, kind of a changing of the guard, and you had a handful of uh, new up and coming players that maybe weren't quite ready for the World Cup experience, but were good enough to be on the World Cup team. Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, and some others, uh, and you still I guess like I said you still had the uh, the old guard of. Julie Ertz, you had uh, Naylor, you had Rapinho, you had Lindsey Horan, and some of those. Um, but uh, the the Sweden game was 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 they, they probably had the better play in the Sweden game. Had some opportunities, could not score. Uh, again, the the substitution patterns are things that could be questioned throughout the tournament. The United States only scored one goal in the final three games of the tournament. Basically, the last two games of the uh, knockout of the. Of the group stage plus the plus the knockout round, that's just unacceptable. You cannot go one three games with one goal with the type of firepower potentially that the U.S. has. And when you get to penalty kicks, what was most disappointing about penalty kicks is not that they were not that they missed, is that th- the last three misses were all misses that were not even on goal. The goalkeeper did not even have to make a save. The United States was up 3-2 going to round four, and Rapinho airmails the ball over the bar. They're still up 3-2 going to round five, and if Sophia Smith delivers in round five, there is no bottom of the fifth because it's over. And she airmails she airmails the goal as well, had the Sweden goalkeeper beat, uh, but you cannot, in penalty kicks, airmail the goal. You have to put the ball on frame and make the goalie make a save. The they, the old guard of Rapinho and the up-and-coming new generation of Sophia Smith failed to deliver in a massive, dis- massive way. Uh, the choke part of it was not that they missed the penalty kicks, was that they weren't even put on goal to have to make a save. And that's the disappointing part, and that's the part. Obviously, Kelly, Kelly O'Hara, she missed the, the final uh, in round seven. She missed the final penalty kick and hit the, hit the post. 
Uh, and then Sweden with the controversial, uh, what a save by Naylor the, in the second save, but apparently the ball, which it did on video replay, by literally a millimeter or two, less than one inch, the complete ball crosses the line. Therefore, the penalty kick is good, and Sweden advances. So just a colossal disaster in penalty kicks for the United States. They had two golden opportunities to put the penalty kicks away with Rapinho and Sophia Smith, and then they don't they don't deliver again. Missing the goal completely is unacceptable in penalty kicks. If the goalie makes a save, you can live with that, but you cannot miss the frame on three, on three consecutive misses for the United States in penalty kicks. So that's the part that they will go to their graves with is that they that they missed the the go, uh, the frame completely. To me, they outplayed Sweden a little bit in that game. It was it was a fairly even game, but they had the better of play. But again, the overall World Cup experience for the, for the United States was was not great. Um, very poor. You're going to see some changes with the World Cup uh, program. Be very interesting to see what the general manager of the World United States National Women's National Team does. Uh, but Andonovsky, in my opinion, cannot survive this. He had a rough run in the Olympics uh, last year. He's had a rough run in the uh, in the World Cup. So would be fully expecting to see a change with uh, Andonovsky here in the very near future. As soon as the World Cup's over, they will probably try to poach a one of the managers from one of the other World Cup teams. But again, World Cup is uh, exciting. It's been some entertaining soccer. The teams around the world have definitely gotten way better. The margin, the gap between the United States and everybody else has decreased significantly. There's some really good teams around the world uh, that you're seeing some of the results. Uh, The Netherlands are really good. Uh, France is really good. England's pretty good. Sweden's actually pretty good as well. So the, the the gaps between the United States and everybody else has diminished greatly, kind of like the after the Dream Team went to the Olympics in 92 with the basketball. The the play around the world has gotten much, much better on the women's side and on the on the soccer front, So, which will make things just more competitive as we move forward in future World Cups. So that's good. So Fox cannot be happy. Fox is going to take a bath with the ratings with this World Cup with the United States out so quickly. Uh, the other part of the Fox deal is the game times are tough. With the, the games are pretty much in the middle of the night. The U.S. played at 5 a.m. in the morning on Sunday. That, I was actually able to get up and watch it, but just from a ratings perspective, it's a tough, tough thing to ask of of, of United States Americans to get up, especially on the anywhere, even on the East Coast. It's tough to, to stay up. Uh, West Coast time, it's it's not as brutal, but it's still rough to stay up. But with the United States out, the Fox ratings are going to not be good at all. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the final ratings on that are when the tournament's over. So there's your there's your United States World Cup. We are in, we're, we're at the quarterfinal stage. Things will, will rapidly uh, move along here. You're going to have um, the tournament will end not this Sunday, but most likely next. I believe it's next Sunday. In Australia, the Australians are still in it, so good for the homeland and the home, the home, the host nation. They're still in it, and they've got a shot as well. So, um, you see the interesting partnership between ESPN and Penn International, the betting partnership. Uh, the ESPN and Penn International agree on like a ten-year uh, uh, partnership as the official gambling partner of ESPN. That's going to pump in like 150 million dollars a year into ESPN, which is desperately needed for them with all these college football uh, TV rights deals and fees and all that stuff that are going up. So the uh, ESPN has partnered with Penn International, which was which was a component of Barstool Sports. 
They had some kind of a uh, kind of um, you know partnership with Barstool Sports. That partnership's over, and Penn is now with ESPN. Um, other bit of news with ESPN. Um, you saw a new morning show is being announced, radio morning show. Evan Cohen, who's previously with SiriusXM, is taking over the morning show for ESPN along with Chris Canty and a young and another uh, Michelle Smallman, who I, who I don't know much about, but they're going to be the new radio uh, show in the morning for ESPN. I imagine that'll probably start the Tuesday after Labor Day. That's when those things usually happen. So, and Mike Greenberg is no longer going to be hosting the NBA Finals. Malika Andrews is going to take that over for ESPN as well. So, um, you will see, uh, you know, more and more ESPN contracts expire and not renewed. I think that's all Jay Williams's contract expires either either at the end of August or September. So, most likely he won't be back at ESPN once his contract runs out. So, more changes at the worldwide network. So, Henry Ruggs sentenced to three to ten years in prison for his his uh, you know his DUI situation where he killed somebody in his car speeding. So he was sentenced on uh, Wednesday, uh, three to ten years in prison. So just that's that's just a, that's just a lifelong lesson that you got everybody out there, whether you're an athlete or not. Don't be drinking and driving. Call the Uber. Call the Lyft. Call a service. You know. There's no reason in the world anybody should be driving drunk in this day and age any longer. And, and you know, a, a promising career ended in the NFL. He's obviously going to spend significant time in prison for it. Hopefully he comes out the other side and everything works out. But Henry Ruggs going to jail for at least three years, up to 10 years, due to his DUI um, situation out in Las Vegas. So, um, again, training camp underway. Lots of, uh, you know, not any huge news out of the training camps this week. Again, all the preseason games are starting down here in Tampa. Baker Mayfield will get the first start for the Buccaneers. Kyle Trask will start game two um, against the New York Jets. The Bucks will go up to New York next week for some uh, practices, and they'll play the Jets next weekend up there. So we'll see how that quarterback uh, battle unfolds with the Buccaneers. That's kind of the only quarterback battle, I think, around the league. Most of all the other quarterback battles have been decided. Be interesting to see what the Texans do with C.J. Stroud. Will he start week one, and will Anthony Richardson start week one for the Colts, or will it be Gardner Minshew? Jonathan Taylor has left uh, the Colts camp. It'll be interesting to see what happens on that front here the next couple of weeks. Will he report prior to the season? Um, you know, Jacobs for the the Raiders is the other guy that's that's not not in camp with the Raiders due to the franchise situation. He'll probably report a week before the season, and we'll see how that goes. Uh, and I imagine Jonathan Taylor will report because he really doesn't have any leverage not to report. So, um, so those are your NFL notes and nuggets. Um, baseball wise, uh, uh, Michael Lorenzen just threw a no hitter for the Phillies on Wednesday night. He's the guy they got from Detroit at the trade deadline. He's he's had two magnificent starts for them. Throws a no hitter in Philadelphia, the first home no hitter for the for the Phillies since uh, Roy Halladay did it in the playoffs back in I think 2014 or so, 15 something like that. So good for Lorenzen and the Phillies. Um, Shane McClanahan for for the Rays, devastating injury. Probably going to have to have Tommy John surgery. Um, Going to be out, obviously, the most of the rest of this year and all, pretty much all of next year. I said it at the trade deadline. The Rays cannot stay in put 
at the deadline. You had to, Stu Sternberg needed to make a big move to fortify this team. They really did next to nothing. They picked up Savali from Cleveland. Okay, he's a fourth starter at best. But again, they once again failed to go make a big move at the trade deadline to go either get a big batter or a big pitcher. And now they're going to pay the price. You see Verlander uh, with Houston. You see Scherzer pitching well for Texas. Just another, you know, again, they weren't going to get those two guys, but there were other guys out there they could have made a run at and didn't. And, mo- you know, probably going to be another year where the Rays probably make the playoffs, but, again, are, will potentially go out quietly early in the playoffs because of the, the, the injuries to the pitching staff. And granted, they've been decimated by pitching injuries, which is that's becoming a major problem in the organization with the arm injuries. That's like the fourth guy they've lost this year to an arm injury. So we'll, we'll be interested to see if there's anything – in the development of the of the pitchers in the organization that gets changed because of all these injuries. But again, Shane McClanahan was probably going to be one or two in the Cy Young. Hard-throwing left-hander would have been the number one starter in the playoffs. Done for the year and probably next year, most likely with Tommy John surgery. So um, down on the, on the Rays and Stu Sternberg for not making a big move at the deadline, even though they're probably going to make the playoffs, but, but just not advanced. So, uh, interesting fight between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez. Good for Ramirez knocking him out. Anderson was totally out of line for what he did, and I'm glad he got suspended six games for what he did. Challenging Ramirez, and Ramirez dropped him with a right hook. Good for Ramirez. And Tim Anderson, shut the hell up and take your suspension and, and get get gone. So last thing we'll talk about before we get to Zach Gelb, conference realignments full, is in full bloom. Obviously, the Big Ten went out and got Oregon and Washington late last week, and the Big 12 finalized their deals with Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and Arizona State. Kind of now that now uh, Washington State and Oregon State are pretty much hanging in the wind. You got St- Cal and Stanford dangling in the wind. There's some talk of potentially the ACC reaching out to Cal and Stanford. I don't think that'd be a good fit at all. Um, so it'd be very interesting to see where those four teams end up and how that unfolds. Obviously, Clemson, Florida State are probably the, the last two big fish to be had. Uh, apparently, there's a deadline of August the 15th for the ACC teams to make a filing that they're going to leave the conference. So we will know early next week. If there's any news concerning Florida State and Clemson uh, prior to the football season starting, so um, we will be interested. To see, does the SEC or is the SEC trying to slow play it here to try to get Clemson and Florida State? Does the Big Ten maybe make an invitation to Clemson and Florida State, or do they stay put in the ACC for at least another uh, football season? Um, I could see something happening at the beginning of the year once football season's over with Clemson and Florida State. It would not be a good look if it all happened during the football season. you got to get this stuff concluded either prior to the football season or after the football season. I think uh, that'll be the way that goes. But it would be interesting to see if the SEC is going to try to slow play this to try to reel in Florida State and Clemson either uh, at the beginning of, of next year or following the, the, the college football playoff. So those are your uh, conference uh, headlines, your headlines around the sports world. <clears throat> Again, Zach Gelb, CBS Sports Radio, host of the Zach Gelb Show, will be coming up here in just a minute or two to talk NFC and AFC East preview, talk a little Mets and Yankees as well, and uh, all the all the doings of Aaron Rodgers and all that good stuff. So stay tuned. Appreciate you finding us. If you haven't already done so, hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform, at JPO Sports, on, on Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's being called. Um, also, I also uh, do some work for Pressbox Radio, so go to pressboxradio.com. 
I do a little Power 6 uh, series every Wednesday on the radio show. You can you can download the app and listen to it. Uh, kind of a Power 6. And this week I ta- we talked about the six most intriguing college football matchups in week zero, one, and two, and there's some there's some doozies in the first three weeks of the season. So I give you my power six list of top college football matchups. Go to Pressbox, uh, the Pressbox Radio Show app. You can find the app. It's a free app. Download the show. Wednesdays are the days I'm on. Every Wednesday, check out myself, Mike Grace, and Bart Heisch. And uh, I'll probably post some of these uh, the powers lists on the on the podcast as well. You can also go to my YouTube channel, Jason Power Sports Channel on YouTube for all the video interviews. So Zach Gelb's interview will be up here as well. So enjoy the week. Enjoy Zach Gelb. Again, it is hot as hell down here in Tampa. I'm sure it's hot where you're at. Stay safe. Shout out to the people in Maui who are facing all these wildfires. I know there's been some deaths out in Maui, so. Hopefully those people will be are all okay out there and stay strong. Again, uh, this heat is oppressing this summer. It's a crazy summer of heat as it is down here. It's, it's over 100 degrees most every day down here. But uh, So stay safe out there. I know lots of high school football's underway. High school football in the state of Florida begins not this Friday, but the next Friday. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and we'll have our first college football game. Week zero will be, I think, the week of the 26th one week prior to Labor Day. So there'll be a few games that week, and then everybody will start playing Labor Day weekend. So we're almost to football season. We're almost to real games. The preseason starts uh, in full force for the NFL teams on Thursday and Friday of this week, and almost, almost football season. The National Football League, college football, Major League races are heating up, uh, and all that good stuff. So enjoy the podcast. Enjoy Zach Gelb. Tell a friend and stay tuned. We'll be right back with Zach Gelb, CBS Sports Radio. And now a word from Titan Home Lending. Are you in the market to purchase your first time home, relocate to the state of Florida, or just purchase that second home or investment property? Well, if so, Titan Home Lending can help you get financing for that new home purchase. Reach out to Jason Powers, 205-790-1404, and I can help you get pre-approved in less than one day. A pre-approval is critical in order to make that offer on your home. You want to know how much of a home you can make an offer on, and getting a pre-approval will allow you to do that. From an FHA, VA, conventional loan, jumbo loan, bank statement loans, There are numerous loan options out there to help you get into your house of your dreams. You can also renovate. You can do a renovation loan, which will allow you to make home improvements and finance the costs into the loan. So reach out to Titan Home Lending anywhere in the state of Florida for your next home purchase. 205-790-1404. Now a word from our partners at Print and Marketing Solutions as well as Star Alvarado, our realtor here on the podcast. If you have any buying and selling needs anywhere in the Bay Area, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. She can help you on the selling side or the buying side of any real estate transaction here in the Tampa Bay Area. From St. Pete to Tampa to Wesley Chapel and anywhere in between, reach out to Star Alvarado, 813-538-9572. And Print and Marketing Solutions, my guy Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. 
Todd's located on the corner of Lineball and Gun Highway over in Carrollwood. Todd can help you with all of your print and supply needs. Corporate events, golf tournaments, signs and banners, marketing pieces, color copies, anything in between. Todd is your print and marketing specialist. Again, print and marketing specialist, Todd Tedesco, 813-498-2887. All right, welcome back, Powers on Sports Podcast. We are in week two of our NFL divisional previews, where today we are talking this week, we're talking NFC and AFC East, lots of drama and lots of new things going on in both of those divisions, and no better person to talk to about the East Coast of the NFC and NFC East divisions than Zach Gelb, host of the uh, CBS Sports Radio National Radio Show aforementioned, the Zach Gelb Show, on all your favorite CBS Sports affiliates as well as Sirius XM. Welcome back, Mr. Gelb. Jason, how you doing? It's been a while since we were eating key lime pie together in, in beautiful Tampa. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. Another another losing year for your Rangers. In our- <laughs> yes, uh, they went all in and they got embarrassed in the in the first round. So what can you do? Nothing like taking the first two games of a series, especially on the other team's ice, thinking that you're going to win that series rather quickly and then getting your heart broken in game seven. So another lovely year. Death taxes and the Rangers disappointing me. Even more so, you lose to your little stepbrother, the Devils. <laughs> yeah, enough with the Devil fan. I, I can't stand the Devil fan. <laughs> I wish him nothing but the best, of course, though, moving forward. I got you. All right, before we get to the uh, to the football, I want to get your thoughts on the Yankees and the Mets, kind of abjunct failures to this point. Obviously, we know the Mets have cleaned house with all their free agency trades of Verlander and uh, – and, uh, Scherzer and buying buying the prospects that they bought for Mr. Cohen's uh, $80 million, whatever it cost them. Just give me your thought, a quick thought on the Yankees and the Mets as we got about 50 games left and the Yankees are in big trouble. Yeah, the Mets have been a big disappointment. Once the Correa deal went south before the start of the season and you had the Diaz injury, it kind of gave me an ominous feeling that this team wasn't going to be as good as advertised, but I didn't think it would get to this level where they would be non-competitive really for the last month and a half, uh, two months. I know that they officially waved the white flag right at the, the trade deadline, first getting rid of uh, Scherzer and then surprisingly getting rid of Verlander. But I still have confidence that they'll be able to turn it around the next year or two because I still believe in the owner in Steve Cohen. Now the honeymoon is over. You got to go find a way to win, especially when you say you're going to win a World Series in the first five or, or six years. But I know he'll do everything in his power to keep on spending and money uh, money will not get in the way. As for the Yankees, uh, how many times are you going to keep on running it back with the same regime? And there's, you know, one thing to come up short in an ALCS when you continue to get spanked around by the Astros. Uh, but this team this year is lethargic. I know Judge got hurt and that was just a, a, a gut punch, but then he eventually does come back. But you look at that lineup. I went to a Yankee game this year, and Garrett Cole was pitching, and he was phenomenal in the game. They ended up winning. But I said to myself, with Judge out of the lineup when he was, and I know Cole is one of the better pitchers in baseball, there's no bat in that lineup that really makes you say ooh and ah when you go to Yankee Stadium, which you usually think you're going to see a bunch of legendary players. So I don't think Cashman nor Boone will be let go. Um, I don't really think it's Boone's fault because he's just basically listening to whatever Cashman says, but the Yankees continue to be way too loyal to Brian Cashman, who is a really good executive, but I think it's time for something new, but I don't expect major changes with the Yankees because they keep on doing the same thing year in and year out. So New York baseball 
an absolute failure. And for the first time in a long time, New York fans are saying, get me to football season, which is not usually the case. One more question on the baseball. It's amazing how the ownership perception has changed dramatically. You got the Mets with Cohen spending gazillions of dollars now. Yeah, Brenner is more of a little more conservative, not spending the not 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 going crazy with the with the dollars like his dad did. How's that dynamic fitting in with the New York sports fans? Yeah, I think Hal kind of gets a pass because everyone just talks about Cashman and and Boone, but you're not wrong. And the Yankees still spend money but it's not the way that they spent like drunken sailors when George Steinbrenner was the owner or what Steve Cohen is doing right now. And if George was still around, I'll tell you this, uh, this would not be going uh, for as long as it's been with coming up short. And eventually they would have seen Cashman and Boone out, but uh, Hal is going to continue to be loyal to his guys. and, And that's what we've seen. Yeah, it's funny. I live about 10 minutes down the street from the headquarters of the Yankees down here. And it's, yeah. you know, the, the, this time of year, next, you know, come the, come the October, November, December, be interesting to see what the, uh, the, the meetings that happen in the off season down here, because those usually do happen down here. So, all right, let's get to the football field. You are in the Mecca now of uh, Aaron Rodgers mania, the, the huge move the Jets made in the offseason, bringing in Aaron Rodgers. Just talk about how you think he's handled all the New York. Obviously, we've seen him at all the games and all that stuff, but just the logistics of the football side of things. How do you think the Jets have handled it? And how do you think Rodgers has handled the new scenery? So I'm really close uh, with a bunch of our affiliates in the state of Wisconsin. So I've talked more Packers than anybody uh, the last three years. And what you heard about Aaron Rodgers, and I'm talking about from reliable sources, where at times it got amicable between him and Gutekunst, but towards the end, he was, and I've said this on the air, uh, he was blowing off LaFleur, keeping him uh, guessing when LaFleur was trying to say, okay, let's get together and give you more input on the offense. So it got really ugly. And I was wondering, Clearly, it was coming to an end this offseason. I didn't think that was going to be the case the last few years. But going into this offseason, I said, Rodgers is going to get traded. And you see the Rodgers that the Jets got. It's a totally different Aaron Rodgers, where he is bought in. He is appreciative that the organization actually wants him. And the organization, for the most part, they rolled out the red carpet. And they said, hey, come take the best office in the building. We'll give you the keys. And you'll get to to run the entire show. So the way that Rodgers is connected with his new teammates, and not only that, the way that everything he's saying is just wonderful. If you are a Jets fan, to just be hearing, he has really impressed me so far. I don't usually buy into offseason hype to a point where if they don't find a way to get it done, it's not going to be because of a lack of trying. It's just going to be that, hey, there aren't they aren't good enough. And you've seen some of the shortcomings the last few years in Green Bay, an easier conference when they've had the number one seed, when they've had home field advantage, and they've come up short up against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then also the Green Bay, uh, also uh, the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, the expectations now. You got the Jets coming in 7-10 and 10 from last year. Obviously, we knew the, the defense is really, really good. Can the offense do enough to, to to score enough? Obviously, we know Rodgers is good enough, but do they have enough help around him? We know Garrett Wilson's a really good player, yeah. but the offensive line is that the biggest key. part of this part of this team success. Biggest key. Uh, I was talking with Lije Duzabal, former Jets offensive lineman, the other day, and does a great job on CBS Sports HQ and Sirius XM. And I go defense. You got to love it up front. You got to love it. Uh, with the cornerbacks and, and the defensive backs, quarterback massive improvement from the dreadful Zach Wilson of a year ago. Garrett Wilson put up 1,100 yards last year with no uh, quarterback whatsoever. Uh, run game, assuming Brees Hall is able to come back from the ACL, and uh, maybe they add Dalvin Cook. It's in a good spot. They have enough, 
But that offensive line is the biggest question mark to me. And even though you bring in Aaron Rodgers, it's great. We all know the great quarterbacks, they don't like getting hit. You don't need a PhD in football to figure that one out. And the way you beat Aaron Rodgers is to hit him. So that offensive line, if they could be above average, the Jets have a shot to be playing in the AFC title game. And I know people will say Super Bowl or bust, and I understand why the Jet fan says Super Bowl or bust. But for this season to be a success, I think they have to be in the AFC title game. Right now, I have them as a wild card team. If you tell me they win the division, I would not be shocked. But I go back to what I just said in, in the last answer, in that Aaron Rodgers in the postseason, some years you could blame defense in Green Bay. You could blame the special teams in Green Bay. But as of late, Tom Brady tried to give him that NFC title game. Three and out, three and out, down five. I know everyone crushes the floor for that stupid field goal down eight. But he stalled in the red zone. I think it was on third and goal. He could have ran it in the end zone. Right. And, and he did not do that. And up against the 49ers, he got too locked in on Devontae Adams down that left sideline. He had Alan Lazard wide still open. Running. He's still running. Yeah. Alan Lazard is still running. They, they scored a touchdown right out of the gate, and they did nothing else after that. So Rodgers, he's he's saying all the right things. He's taking less money. He's putting them in the best position. He's got to get the job done come postseason. Let's go to Miami. Nine and eight last year. They're losing the wild card to Buffalo. To me, they're the two two keys. Can they keep Tua upright? To me, the health of Tua is utmost importance. What do you see in Miami? So I think Miami right now is my pick to to win the AFCs as we sit here on August eighth. Um, if you tell me Buffalo, I'm not going to argue it. If you tell me the Jets, I'm not going to argue it. I was just having this conversation yep. um, in in our newsroom. We're all splitting hairs there. But the thing I like about the Dolphins, obviously Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. McDaniel creeps me out, but the guy's a heck of a coach. He almost beat Buffalo last year with Skylar Thompson. Yeah. The defense, you would think, would be more consistent. It would be improved this year. And you bring in a better defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio. But I usually like the team that everyone's telling me before the season starts, Tua can't stay healthy. And I understand why, because of the frightening stuff we saw last year. So I'm going to bank that everyone's going to be wrong. Two is going to stay healthy, and uh, the Dolphins, in maybe a tiebreaker, they they find a way to win the AFC East. I'm with. You. I think I think he's a he is a if he stays healthy, he's such a good distributor of the ball. They have so much speed. It's just even great defenses. It's almost impossible to cover those mm -hmm. guys. All right, let's go to uh, Buffalo, upstate New York, thirteen and three last year. They win the, the wild card game, lose in the divisional round. Question: the, the question starting to become: Can they get over the hump? We know they're good. They got great players. Can they finally get over the hump, whether it's Cincinnati or Kansas City? So here's the biggest key for Buffalo, the health of Von Miller. It's that simple. You saw Buffalo go into Kansas City last year. Von Miller comes off the edge, gets in Mahomes' face. Mahomes throws the ball early, makes a mistake. And uh, Teron Johnson, I believe it was, had the interception. Now, I just picked the Dolphins to win the division. It, it does not mean that I'll pick the Dolphins to go the furthest out of the AFC East teams in the playoffs. It would still be Buffalo. But this is an enormous year for Buffalo because you had the whole 13-second disaster two years ago, and then you come back after, really, Josh Allen played the two best games you could see maybe in a, that did not result in a championship. Right. And then last year, it unraveled for them. Now, I know a lot happened in the community. DeMar a lot Hamlin happened with DeMar Hamlin, clearly, which it's amazing how he's back on a football field. I would have never right. thought that would have been the outcome when I was on the air that night. But for Buffalo, they have to get it done this year. Now, we talk about Super Bowl or bust. Buffalo's one of those 
handful of teams that actually have legitimate Super Bowl or bust expectations heading into this year. Because you know it, Jason. You keep on getting close. Eventually, your window closes. And Buffalo has been that team. Close, close, close. Now people are jumping off the bandwagon. I'm I'm vacillating on my Super Bowl prediction this year. You know, you tell me Kansas City's going to win it. At any Everyone could do that. Um, and I would not fault you if you take Kansas City. Right now in the AFC, I'm between Cincinnati and I'm between Buffalo. But Buffalo got embarrassed by the Bengals last year in that playoff game. And I'm just curious how they're going to respond. And you have to take some of the burden off of the shoulders and legs of Josh Allen. They got to run the football a little bit more. I'm with you. To me, an odd move they made this offseason was the whole Leslie Frazier leaving and now McDermott's taking over. Yeah. I want, you know, you'll wonder if if McDermott's really feeling pressure. Yeah, Mm -hmm. what's the truth and what's not? And McDermott taking over the defense. I don't love that, but – and that defense is getting old too. It is. I love Sean McDermott. When the Eagles hired Doug Peterson, which was not a popular hire, I said they should have hired Sean McDermott. So I've been a big fan of Sean McDermott. And the Bills didn't make the playoffs in forever – And all they do now is make the playoffs and have high expectations with Sean McDermott. But sometimes a coach can only take you so far. And if they don't get the job done this year or make you believe that they can get the job done, you wonder, Sean, you've done a great job with this team, but do you need a new voice there? Kind of reminds me of Tony Dungy and John Gruden if they don't get it done here here in Tampa. So, all right, let's go to New England. Uh, Eight and nine last year. You know, they finally have made some coaching changes. You got a legitimate offensive coordinator and then Bill O'Brien, who knows that, who knows Belichick well. We got out of the whole Matt Patricia circus. Future of Mac Jones, to me, is you, you've not heard of any kind of Belichick de- decree that he's our guy. So is this a big year for Mac Jones? Well, breaking news, because I interpret Bill Belichick pretty well. He <laughs> says this about every position. You know, uh, we sit here, we have a uh, competition and uh, no one's job is, is uh, ever won. Uh, he's never given. You have to go out there and, and you have to earn it. So Mac Jones is going to be a starting quarterback. Yeah, I had two things that I wanted to see New England do this offseason. And they weren't big things. Get a legit offensive coordinator because it was a clown show last year with Judge and Patricia. They did that with Bill O'Brien. The other thing was go get DeAndre Hopkins right. or a Jackson Smith and Jigba or a Quinn and Johnston in the draft. They did not do that. Right. So you bring in Juju Smith-Schuster, who's not a number one wide receiver. It's They did a, a, a half-fixed job where you, yes, get better coaching around Mac, which was big, but he still doesn't have a number one wide receiver. And ultimately, New England is on the same uh, category as Buffalo, Miami, and the Jets because you look at a team like Philadelphia. How do they take off? They got Jalen Hurts, Devontae right. Smith, and A.J. Brown. Buffalo, when do they take off? When they got – uh, Josh Diggs. Allen, Stephon Diggs, the Dolphins, Jalen Waddle, and Tyree Kill. And as a Patriot fan, I got a deal who I like, Kendrick Bourne, but he's not a number one. <laughs> Juju Smith-Schuster, who's not a number one. Uh, Devontae Parker, who's not a number one. Uh, there's no reason why DeAndre Hopkins okay should be on this end. team. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I'm with you. To me, they just they they refuse to go get an elite skill yeah. player for whatever reason. And, and that's the adjustment Belichick has failed to make. You lose Brady for years when Brady was there. You could afford not to get the the great wide receivers. I know that one year they get Randy Moss. Sure, they draft, um, you know, Rob Gronkowski. But you don't need the great wide receiver. You know, they traded for for Julian uh, for Wes Welker. He turned out to be great. Right. Uh, they draft the you know J- Julian Edelman. I think was in the seventh, seventh round, round out of Kent yeah, State. Seventh rounder, yeah. And, and look what he turned out to be. You don't have Brady anymore, so you you got to go get your your young quarterback some help. I'm not telling you Mac Jones is great. 
But I don't know what Mac Jones can be because they haven't put him in a position to succeed. New England will still win eight games, nine games because of Belichick. It's weird. Uh, Belichick is general manager, and I usually never said this. He could drive you crazy nowadays. But as a coach, with you look at that roster, the last two years, he got them to the playoffs, and then they still went eight and nine with the chance to get in the postseason the final week of the season if they would have beat Buffalo. So he's still coaching above what the talent is, but he's in charge of getting the talent in there. Is he in any kind of trouble if they don't make the playoffs this year with Kraft? So a month ago, I would say you're crazy. There's been more conversation about it. I will still stand by the whole Shula record and how important I think that is to craft for that to be done with Belichick, in, you know, with the Patriot visor, if you want to say, or a Patriot collared shirt. I would say with what Belichick has done, which is six Super Bowl championships, and it wasn't all Tom Brady, even though people will tell you that now. And I always said Brady was more important than Belichick, but let's not uh, look at Belichick like he's some bum because he's, he's still one of, if not the greatest coach of all time. And he made the playoffs that, that one year with the Browns and beat the, the, the Patriots too with Bill Parcells. But I think that if he misses the playoffs three straight years in a row, then he'll get fired or they'll move him upstairs. Or they'll do something with him. But if it's just back to back, which could be the case after this year, I think he'll get another year with what he's built in New England. All right, listen to Zach Gelb, host of the Zach Gelb Show on CBS Sports Radio, national radio show, Sirius XM, CBS Sports Affiliates, 7 to 10 or 6 to 10 for the show? 6 to 10. 6 to 10 on your on your Eastern time all over the uh, the country and doing a great job previewing NFC and NFC and AFC East division. Let's go to the the NFC. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start in Dallas, 12 and 5. Again, another good year. Big change. Kellen Moore out, Mike McCarthy in, Colin plays. What are your thoughts on that? I've always thought Kellen Moore is a, a tad overrated. Good offensive mind. But remember, this guy was supposed to be a head coach. And now his new job is the offensive coordinator of the Chargers. So I think that means something. Uh, McCarthy has done a better job than what anyone could have imagined in Dallas. People would have thought he would have been fired by now. He's had back-to-back 12-win seasons. Right. The defense the last two years against the Niners gave you championship performances. They've done their job. This comes down to another offensive line taking a step back. We'll see what Pollard looks like coming off the injury. You have enough there at wide receivers. It's all about the quarterback and Dak yep. Prescott. Yep. Dak is getting paid 40-something million dollars a year. Dak is a really good quarterback. I, I think he is right on that line of a top 10 quarterback. Yep. Um, I would take t- I have 10 quarterbacks that I take over Dak Prescott right now, but he's in that conversation for at times 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Dak has to play better in the big game. And until I see it, I will say the drama Dallas choking Cowboys will be the drama Dallas choking Cowboys when this when the game gets big and you start to believe in them. Like I thought they were going to go into San Francisco and win the game last year after beating Tampa Bay, even though Tampa Bay was an anemic eight yep. and nine. Yeah. But until Dak gets the job done for an organization that has not been to an NFC title game or a Super Bowl since they last were there in uh, 1995, I expect them to be a team in the regular season that looks really good, but then playoff time there will be teams that are better. All right, let's go to your neck of the woods, New York Giants, 9-7-1. Had a great uh, overachieving yeah. year last year. Brian Dayball, Jones played okay. You got Jones signed, but you don't sign Barkley long-term. Your thoughts on the way they did that, how the Giants handled that internally? Yeah, I have big-time respect for Joe Shane, the general manager, and Brian Dayball as well. The Giants have the right people, and they quickly changed the culture, which the Giants used to be one of the proudest organizations yeah. in the NFL – 
And the last five to seven years, they were a complete dumpster fire after not that long ago, winning two Super Bowls with Tom Coughlin and beating the greatest NFL dynasty that we've ever seen in the Patriots twice, um, you know, uh, with Super Bowl 42 and then Super Bowl 46. With that being said, um, I do think there will be some regression this year with the Giants. But I think that's because they overachieved last year. I like the moves that they made this offseason. You have some foundational pieces, Dexter Lawrence, Andrew Thomas, Jones. They structured the contract the right way where it's basically a two-year deal. If it doesn't work, they could get out of it. Um, I like the move of Darren Waller. The wide receivers may define the Giants' season. Uh The health of Saquon is always big. Um, It's just not the way the league works right now. You give out these long-term deals. We've seen Nick Chubb, the last running back to get paid in in 2021. But I want to see if the Giants wide receiving group is good enough. Uh, Wandell Robinson, Joe Shane told me the other day, should be back in a week or so. You you bring in Jalen Hyatt. I got to see these wide receivers as a unit take the next step. To me, that that was on the notes. The wide receiver, are they good enough? We know Waller's going to be good if he can be healthy. He's a dynamic tight end. They have the hardest schedule on paper in the league. If you look at the schedule, strength of schedule going on paper, I know that doesn't mean a whole lot in August, but on schedule, they had an easy schedule last year, much more difficult schedule this year. Can Daniel Jones elevate his play, or is this what he is, or is this about what he is? I don't know what the ceiling is of Daniel Jones. I was not a big believer, like everybody else, when Dave Gettleman drafted Daniel Jones with the sixth overall pick out of Duke. But last year, he impressed me. And he played his ass off against a god-awful defense, but he took advantage of it in the Vikings. Um, He won last year with less around him. Now, does that mean he's a great quarterback? Does that mean he's a top-10 quarterback? No, but in this era of 2023, he's a mobile quarterback, and he can throw the football too. Um, I still, like I said, question the wide receivers, but I think Jones can be solid, can be above average, but – I still don't look at him as like this elite quarterback in the NFL. All right, let's go to Washington. Obviously, all the turmoil with the ownership change. Finally, that's done. Eight, eight, and one. Ron Rivera, new ownership. They're gonna sounds like they're going with Sam Howell, the youngster out of North yeah. Carolina. You bring in Bienemy to be the offensive coordinator. News out today that the players are already bitching and complaining that Bienemy's yelling at them too much and too loud. Just your thoughts on the whole overhaul in Washington. Well, first off, good riddance, and don't let the door hit you And you-know-what if you are Daniel yeah. Snyder, an Jeez. absolute disgrace that he was an owner in this league for as long as he was. Yep. Uh, Josh Harris, see, I covered Josh, um, his Sixers team, when I was living in Philadelphia. Uh, Josh sometimes is not the best public speaker, but he's going to do everything to try to get the team to win. Uh, he has the Devils. I know the Sixers haven't been able to win, but it will be totally a, a difference with the commanders because there's just not, no more negativity for now when you bring in someone like Josh Harris, who grew up as a fan of that football team. Um, here's what I'll say about the commanders heading into this year. You look at the 49ers, how great they are on all sides of the ball. And then it's like their quarterback is a major question mark and they find a way to get to an NFC championship game. The dolphins remind me a lot like the 49ers where they are a team that has a lot of talent. And the question is the quarterback. Like they're like the, the the Walmart version of the Niners. And the same could be said for the commanders. That front seven, they got to play better, but they got all the talent in the world. Uh-huh. The offense, I love Terry McLaurin. I love Jahan Dotson. Brian Robinson's good. And uh, Antonio Gibson is good. But that quarterback, if he could just be a game manager, yep. then there's no reason why they can't be the third best team in the NFC East. And in a weak NFC, 
competing for that seventh and final wild card spot. Do you anticipate this being a one and done where they where Harris cleans house at the end of this year, unless they really, really overachieve? See, I don't know because like right now, I, I maybe would put them as my wild card team. Okay. So are you going to get rid of Ron Rivera, who's very well respected, but I don't think is a great coach anymore? Are you going to get rid of him if he takes this team to the playoffs this year? Probably not. Right. But when new ownership comes in, they usually like their guys. And we got to see what it looks like at the end of the year, really, before you answer that question. All right, let's go to Philly, a place you you know well. You used to work there, 14-3. and three. Obviously, we saw they lost a, a tight one to the, to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Your thoughts of just can they repeat this? They lost it, but lost both coordinators. They lost a lot of guys on defense. Is this a repeatable formula with this new with this new cast of characters? Yeah, the, the coordinators, I think, is a little bit overrated. I'm fine with losing coordinators. Sure, you have to replace them, but you'd rather be in that position than no one wanting your coordinators because that means your team stinks. Yep. I don't think Gannon's going to be all that special. I still got to see more out of Shane Steichen, even though he did a good job with Herbert and clearly with Jalen Hurts. But Sirianni has done a great job the last two years, coaching his ass off, getting the most out of his teams, and really embracing the city. The Eagles have one of the best offensive lines in football. Uh, their defense, even though they lost some pieces, is still loaded, and you got playmakers all over the place. Uh, I'm okay with losing Miles Sanders. I thought he was overrated anyway. Uh, you bring in DeAndre Swift, and health's going to be key in the running back room. Right. But from guys that are going to catch the football, uh, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, who may be the most un- – underrated tight end in football and Jalen Hurts becoming a star I don't think he's the third best player in the league like the top 100 list says but Jalen Hurts is definitely a top five quarterback in the NFL and an MVP candidate Philadelphia should be in the Super Bowl once again and we talk about earlier those handful of teams that are Super Bowl or bust in terms of winning it the Eagles are definitely one of them and we know Howie Roseman's a great GM he'll he'll make a midseason move whether it's a trade free agent signing whatever to, to improve that team I've seen all sides of Howie Roseman Because I remember when Chip Kelly got to Philadelphia and moved his office and basically demoted him. Then he comes back, he wins a Super Bowl, and then remember, he drafted like J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and someone (laughs) else that's escaping my uh, memory, uh, the former uh, TCU uh, wide receiver. Rager, Jalen Rager. Yeah, Jalen Rager, when he could have had D.K. Metcalf and then also Justin Jefferson. And Justin Jefferson told me all those teams are going to pay that didn't draft me the day after he got drafted by the Minnesota Vikings. But now Howie could do no wrong. And I'll tell you a funny story. My best friend who I used to live with uh, uh, years ago when I was in the city, he's like second cousins with Howie Roseman. So I would get on the air and I'd be calling for a second cousin's job. And then we would like go have dinner after the show or something like that (laughs) and and watch TV because we uh, live together. So um, I I thought that was a little bit funny. But Howie is is the best general manager in football right now, hands uh, hands down. Um, I've been critical of him before, but anytime you doubt him, he comes out swinging. And this Eagles team, they should be back in the Super Bowl this year. So it sounds like you like Philly in the NFC East and you like Miami as kind of a, your sleeper pick in the AFC East, correct? Yes, to, to win the divisions, but then come playoff time, I'll trust Buffalo more than Miami. Who, so do you think Dallas makes the playoffs as a wild card? Yeah, Dallas make the playoffs. They'll at times look like they're the third best team in the NFC. Uh, they'll, they'll go win their 10, 11, 12 games, but come postseason time, I can't see them getting anywhere, uh, past anywhere further past the, the NFC championship. I, I think that's their ceiling is getting to the NFC title game.
Last thing I'll get you out of here. Cool thing the NFL did in week one with the scheduling. You got 9-11 weekend on Sunday, Monday night. The Giants host the Cowboys on Sunday night. And then you got a colossal clash. Aaron Rodgers' first game hosting Buffalo on Monday yeah. night, 9-11. How cool is it somebody that's been up in the, in the Northeast, up in New York City for a while? How cool will that weekend be for the city? Yeah, so so I walk past the the World Trade Center each and every day. I live two blocks from from where the World Trade Center was, and now you have the Freedom Tower. I remember when when I was in uh, eighth grade and uh, Mrs. Crompier's class on on Long Island um, in, in Dix Hills, uh, Comac area, and her father was in the building. Thankfully, got out alive, but uh, that obviously hits close to home, and it's a day that we'll never forget. And we know how important the sports aspect was to kind of get us distracted and try to get back to, to some sense of, of normalcy. Um, so that was a, a very important, um, obviously all these years later, uh, still, you know, each and every year on nine 11, I walked right past it with, with all the tributes on, on my way to work. Um, it is nice, uh, that you do have, uh, New York football now getting talked about in a positive way. And that's always an emotional week. It's always an, an emotional day. And it also uh, was an event, even though it was horrible and you wish it never happened. It did bring this country together. And, um, you know, you, you continue to remember all the people, all the innocent lives that we lost that day. Yeah, this, it'll be a cool weekend for the city of New York for that weekend, the doubleheader at home. Where does Dalvin Cook end up, New York or Miami? I think he's using the Jets. I still think he'll wind up with the Jets because the Dolphins, I believe, won't pay him what he wants and he'll be okay with the Jets. You know, Rogers recruiting like crazy <laughs> to go get him. So I, I will say that, uh, every, you know, Rogers can't do anything wrong right now. So I'll, I'll go Dalvin Cook to the Jets. All right, Zach Gelb, great job, man. You can find Zach on Twitter or X or whatever the hell they're calling it these yeah. days at Zach Gelb, Z A C H G E L B. Host of the Zach Gelb Show, CBS Sports Radio, on your SiriusXM and CBS Sports affiliates. Keep up the great work, man. We'll be listening, and uh, we'd we'll love to have you back on down the road. You got it anytime, and I just got to ask you one thing because I've been getting some breaking <laughs> news right now as we speak. Uh -oh. Sources tell me that the Jets actually asked you to kick for them this year, uh -oh. and you may be on hard knocks. Is that right? Uh-oh, uh-oh. I don't know about hard knocks. I, I, my claim to fame is I played in the Arena Football League briefly. So I played back in the old school Arena Football League back in the day when I was all washed up. But uh, yeah. I remember Aaron Garcia with the Dragons as a kid on, on Long Island. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot Hard Knocks debuts tonight on HBO yeah. when you're listening. So my question is, is that Gelb going to be on Hard Knocks? Are you going to be asking those hard questions to Aaron Rodgers? I, I do not expect to be on Hard Knocks. I wasn't the Manti Teo documentary because I was talking about his uh, him with his girlfriend at the Heisman all, the all those years fishing. ago. Yeah, with the catfishing. I wonder if I'll be in the Johnny Manziel documentary because I've interviewed him before, okay. which I know comes out, but I'd be surprised if I'm in Hard Knocks. You and Debo Samuel is going to be having Christmas cards back and forth. Yeah, you know, he, he would leave me hanging. There's no doubt about that. Good for you on hard asking him the hard question. He deserves it. So, all right, Zach, keep up the great work, man. Appreciate the time. Jason, appreciate it. Thanks. You got it. We'll be right back. Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. 
Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues, and we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.